You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio. So hi everyone and welcome to yet another episode of Changing Reality. My name is Harsha and I'll be your host and DJ for today. So Changing Reality is a segment on WQHS Radio uh, on Penn Student Run Radio. So it's a show that features phenomenal people from all walks of life who are changing their own reality through the little things that they do in their different in their day-to-day lives. So we'll be hanging out and interviewing social change makers, entrepreneurs, business owners, to even artists, musicians, and inspiring individuals from all across the globe. And also some of them here on the Penn campus. So we're gonna hear their inspiring stories on how they change the reality that they live in while at the same time um, learning lessons that we can use to apply in our own day-to-day lives. And I wanted to do this show simply because I feel like there are a lot of people out there who do phenomenal things and make waves in the lives of those around them. And I'm super passionate about uncovering those stories and seeing how the rest of us can follow in their um, footsteps and change the world in our own capacity as well. Personally, I founded and run a youth movement called Ascendance here in Malaysia, which is where I'm from, that collaborates with our Malaysian Ministry of Education to help provide an alternative education platform for any student who wants to create their reality. Run by students who are themselves aged 8 to 21 years old, we work with students from elementary to high school through various sessions, programs, experiential learning activities, and projects that help them discover their passion and get them to learn about the world around them as well as start their own careers while they're still in school. So to date, we've worked with over 6,000 students in 270 communities and have been very fortunate to help incubate a huge number of student-run projects, careers for young entrepreneurs, as well as social enterprises run by students aged 8 to 21 years old. In other words, we help everyday students change their own reality in little ways. So do drop any questions you have in the sh- uh, about that in the show chat below. But one of the big reasons why I want to do the show is actually based off the work that I do in a sentence. Because one of the main things that uh, we see in a sentence is the importance of stories. And there's no one who has a better, more inspiring story than our guest speaker for today. So today we have with us Dano Falk, who is actually a serial entrepreneur with many successful businesses under his belt. He was the founder of Alexory that was recently acquired in 2019, and today is the managing director and founder of Death Device as well. The best thing about Dano is he is someone who has pursued entrepreneurship since a very young age. Um, he started off um, in Germany, which is uh, where he's from, and eventually moved here to Malaysia, where I met him uh, through ETIDS, the social business incubator, where he continued pursuing his businesses and bringing them to new heights. And he's personally someone whose story I've heard before and was incredibly inspired with. So I thought that it was only fair that I shared with all of you here, our lovely audience at Changing Reality. So without further ado, let's bring Dano onto the screen and um, hear a little bit more about his own experiences and the things that he does. Welcome Dano, do join us. Hello, Harsha. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be part of your inspiring group. Well, thank you so much for joining on the show. It is a huge honor to have you here. And 
done with there's so many things that we can start talking about from your serial entrepreneurship career to how you uh, got your business grew your business and got it acquired i think you are no short of successes but um maybe we should rewind a little bit and um start off with where your entrepreneurship journey actually started so how did you learn about entrepreneurship did you were you implanted with a microchip with the whole entrepreneurship database <laughs> like restless uh, here 10 or how did it start in a sense Yeah that's a sweet question because I think I only learned the word entrepreneur uh, 20 years into my journey uh, being one so I think I didn't know I was one maybe not 20 but safe to say 15 years later because I started age 14 I think that would could be kind of checked off as my first entrepreneurial adventure when I started to uh, repair bicycles in Cologne in Mu- in, in Germany that was my first kind of venture where i thought hmm there are so many broken bicycles i love to repair bicycles why not i buy broken bicycles i fix them and i sell them back and no there was no google there was no ebay there was nothing uh, of that sort but so it was all through ads in the newspapers uh, and yeah i started doing that i would say it was decently successful until my logistics chain kind of fell apart which consisted of my mother who was in charge to bring in the broken bicycles so at some point she just quit her job she said i don't want to do this anymore and i didn't have a replacement so this is where my first business kind of came to an end but yeah it was still fun and i still love bikes oh my god that is amazing <laughs> and uh, and who knows if a logistics partner would drop out maybe there would be <laughs> But no, I think that the 14-year-olds we want to start things. Many of our audience they are probably young entrepreneurs as well who have brilliant ideas but don't really know where to start. So putting ourselves in the mind of 14-year-old you back then, um, lots of people have ideas. Lots of people try them out. But how exactly? Like, what was the first thing that you did in a sense? Like, once you had this idea, like, hey, it's a lot of broken bicycles. Like, did you go talk to your mom and and list her into this company, or did you go and um, I don't know, uh, figure something else out? Yeah, today, if if you ask me about my key to success, uh, if I had to bring it break it down to the most simplest entity, it would be uh, set a goal and take action. So there are two things in this equation, you know. So uh, I see. I mean, we all have ideas. all day long you know we take a shower we have an idea we see something on uh, you know we watch something we have an idea and that's all good but uh, having done, gone through the process of uh, like from idea to actually like building and even selling a business uh, there's so much more to that than the idea and i think the most essential part is to actually like plan something to take action on an idea and this is what uh, i see majority of people not doing Uh, the next um, and yes i mean my bicycle idea came to flourish or manifest it because there was a passion behind it you know because i loved the, like fixing bicycles so it did resonate with me it was not just some random idea that fell from the sky and i could not relate to it it was something which you know i really wanted to do so it becomes easy to manifest and to implement ideas when when you know when our heart is in it and when what we do and what we are uh, kind of resonates with this idea so until today i think this is the essential part of any business is to have this idea to solve a problem i mean that there has i mean like broken bicycles like people want bicycles okay there's a problem there and i can i, I can fix i can do this 
because uh, I love fixing bicycles. So these two parts have to come together. Some kind of problem in the world out there and a passion of mine, which kind of fits to solve this problem. And that's when things begun to begin to happen. Okay, okay. I think you explained that very well. Brilliant idea, your first entrepreneurial venture in a sense. Um, and I think you explained those key components very well, not just for that first idea, but for every subsequent idea that not just you, but I think every successful entrepreneur needs to have. So what was next for you in a sense? You were a student, you were someone in school and things like that. What was kind of like the next pivotal moment? What did you do in school? What did you do um, upon leaving school in a sense? Or for many of us here in Penn, um, our journey kind of like um, kind of like comes to a halt after high school is done or we take a little break to go to college. What about you? How is it like me? Uh, so my school venture continued for a very long time because uh, in Germany uh, to graduate from high school, it took 13 years and 13 years is, you know, like I felt this is like really long and I always felt a bit disconnected from the subjects and from the structure. And, you know, I'm, I'm a very rebellious guy. I don't like people to tell me what to do and, and uh, what to learn and all that. So uh, I always had this strong objection towards like, being told like this is what you have to learn today because I had my own agenda I had my own interests and passions and they were not really reflected in this curriculum um, so as soon as uh, I kind of checked off my mandatory school time <clears throat> age 18 I think mm -hmm. um, my first burning desire was to get out there and to do something outside of school so I was very sure that I will first thing i will do i want to do is i want to experience the real world i want to join random businesses companies i want to be an intern i want to be a freelancer and and first of all i want to study jazz so i i was so passionate about playing saxophone and learning how to play saxophone and jazz music so after school the first thing i had to do was the military service which is also mandatory those days in germany uh, which I kind of objected and uh, the second option was to be to do civil service for two years so I had to serve you know the authorities for another 24 months <laughs> until I actually was released you know from my little dog leash like this is what you have to do and I could uh, I and I could eventually make a decision you know with what I'm going to do with my life and the first decision I made was uh, I want to go to Munich, I want to join this jazz school and I want to study jazz. And that's what I did. So I went there, I studied jazz. Uh, it was exciting. It was freedom. Of course, there was not much money involved. So I started cooking at the restaurant. I became like a, yeah, I, I mean, far from chef, but I was, I, I was cooking. First, I was like just a dishwasher and then I started cooking pizzas for people. And, and that was my source of income. And uh, daytime, I was studying jazz and learning jazz and also figuring out that maybe playing my saxophone will not gonna pay for the rent for the next years to come. <laughs> I really couldn't see that happening. So I ventured into neighboring industries, which happened to be sound engineering. So I became a sound engineer, again, not by going to school and learning how to be a sound engineer, but simply by joining uh, a company as an intern. Now, I, I just went to this, there was a Bavaria film studios near Munich, and uh, they were hiring people who would carry cables, you know, like literally carry the cable behind the camera 
and that was my entry point into the like uh, show business so to say <laughs> and uh, from carrying the cable behind the camera i got to got to meet the sound engineering people who were like the car the cool guys at the back you know sitting behind a big mixing desk and uh, i got to chat with them I, I managed to get an internship with them and I think one year later, I was a freelance sound engineer who was like uh, going for shows and driving around. And the highlight of my sound engineering career was to actually be a monitor mixer for Prince. Uh, oh, which, my God. that is a highlight. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We just we came back from a gig and then suddenly the phone rang and it says, uh, well, Prince, is, uh, there's an after gig happening tonight. Uh, there was a big open air show in Munich and they said, well, there's an after gig happening like at 2 a.m. Can you guys can just kind of like uh, come and, uh, and, and prepare for this gig? We said, okay, so who's playing? They said, oh, Prince, well, right. So we, were, so we prepared for this gig and actually Prince was playing like three meters away from me for two hours. And, and that moment I knew like, this is the pinnacle of my sound engineering career. It's not gonna get any better. Uh, and I think, and that kind of reflects on the cycle of businesses. I think that's when I knew, okay, my sound engineering career has ended here because this is as good as it gets. So now I'm going to look into other things to do. That is absolutely amazing. <laughs> I would say like, even if you become, I don't know, <clears throat> the floor after the show for Prince itself, that's like the highlight of some people's life. It'd be the highlight of my <laughs> life in many ways, but unfortunately I doubt I get that opportunity. So amazing but again you started off as an intern and many of us go for internships many of us work at places and things like that what made you stand out what made you actually um kind of like springboard your own freelance career in sound engineering were you just that good that everyone was like we've got to help him out in a sense or are you just like the rest of us and had to learn the ropes and have to do some things a bit differently in a way I, I was not really an outstanding sound engineer. I think I was okay. I was doing fine. Uh, and uh, I mean, I like music and I like to be around bands and music and live shows and all that. So I was doing fine, uh, but uh, I was not a rock star in my in my field. So this and which was also a reason why I kind of moved on because uh, shortly after that, this thing called desktop publishing came along. Um, and these like computers, which you know had a mouse and you could click on things and you could do things on your computer, that was like a, quite a new thing in like in the early nineties. And uh, my friend came across this. Uh, I, he was like a graphic designer of some sort, and he said, "Hey, why don't we just join forces and do desktop publishing?" I mean, what, what do you mean? Well, you have to buy a computer, and then you can do like graphics on your computer. You can do like layouts, like books and and leaflets and flyers on your computer, and and you can sell this to companies. You know, there there it's quite a hot market. I said, okay, let's do that. So I bought myself my first Apple computer, and uh, I remember when it arrived in my house, uh, I had no idea what to do with it. So the, you know, the delivery guy switched it on. And I kind of moved around this mouse and I, and I saw, oh, there's a menu. Uh, the, okay, there's a menu on top of my screen. So let's go click there. And then I saw items popping up. So I released the mouse. I tried to click the items, but as soon as I released the mouse, the, the items were gone. So I was sure this thing is broken because I cannot <laughs> click on any of the items. So the concept of click and drag had to be introduced to me by the support line. And that was the day, and I guess that was the first day of my graphic design and 
online marketing career. So from there, I started to freelance as a, as a graphic designer. I learned a few programs like, I don't even remember what it was. I think it was freehand was one of those. I mean, they're not even around anymore, these, these applications. And, uh, and yeah, from there, I, I went into this whole thing called multimedia, which was also a new hot thing where you can do interactive things, when you can do CD-ROMs, which you can like, which will load in your computer and they will have like interactive stuff going on and, and movies and all that. So that was the next big thing, which I embarked on as an intern. And as a result from that, I started my, uh, my graphic design and online design agency in 2000 where we started working with big clients like Siemens and uh, EADS and Infineon. Again, that is quite a leap. We went from, I'm, I'm just saying like if someone, like if I just met my computer for the first time in history today, I don't think I'd be able to start working with any big clients anytime soon, especially in um, graphic design, multimedia design, which is still something that is um, like rocket science to people like me in today's day and age. So what actually um, in that process of going from learning about how do you use these softwares to getting these big clients, what actually was pivotal to you in your learning journey in a sense it's it's always about people so it's always about being really uh, hundred percent committed to what you do being committed to learning stuff and uh, you know not sich selber schon and we say in Germany so it's uh, just to, to to go all in you know so I think that's one and people do take notice when you are all in when you when they can see like okay you are willing to take the extra effort you you're willing to spend the extra hours you know to get things done and to and if you don't know how then you have to go and find out you know so and that was my I mean that was the 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 situation of my whole life if, if I don't know how I, I just have to go and figure it out and and I think that's one part of the equation where people actually take notice that you are serious about what you're doing, that you're passionate, and that eventually you become like really good at what you're doing. And then people will take you along. So the only reason uh, we ended up working with Siemens was because an ex-colleague of mine in an, in, in an agency I worked with previously as an intern and then as a freelancer, she kind of went to Siemens, she joined Siemens, and she remembered me. And, and as soon as they had needed uh, some someone to work on multimedia projects and online stuff, uh, she kind of simply referred me to them. And we ended up doing like really serious business with them for several years. We were, uh, we were marketing their mobile phone divisions because those days Siemens was actually building mobile phones. And f fun fact, uh, they actually came up with one of the first phones who had a camera built in, you know, like a photo camera. Uh, those days, this was like a completely new thing. Nobody have ever heard of a mobile phone with a camera. And people were thinking like, why camera? What, what, why would I need a camera on my phone? I mean, my phone is just for calling people. Why would I need a camera? So our job was to create like a marketing campaign explaining people how it could be cool to take a picture with your phone. So we did this in, uh, in, in Flash. I mean, those days, that was the only way to do animated stuff online. So we created photo stories. We showed like people are taking pictures. And, you know, we were kind of selling the, the fact that, you know, taking pictures could be cool, which today I think is such a weird thing to, to even consider. 
So yeah, essentially, we, you are to blame for selfie culture and for all of us right now who are. It's all the, my fault. Yeah, yeah. So because I did such a good job promoting yeah. cameras and mobile phones, now people are so obsessed with selfies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying it's such a good job, but it caught off, and then now it spiraled away. Like, oh gosh, I know. Like, like if you yeah, can't yeah. and stop yourself, then all of us would be normal human beings who are not who are mm. not as narcissistic as some would claim. But anyway, it's okay. I can't enjoy my. Hashtag camera. joking, yeah. Let's just be very sure. Hashtag joking, yeah, joking, yeah. Joking. Okay. <laughs> I'm not really taking, taking, you know, the credits for bringing up uh, the the picture culture. But yeah, we were part of it, and it was looking back. It's like such a weird thing, you know, to do like like promoting, uh, you know, cameras and phones. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's not necessary today. Yeah. No, but I think that 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 is amazing, and. <clears throat> If you all have any questions for Dano, do drop it in the chat below and we will take your questions as well. But um, on that note, in a way, um, you also started going into other um, kind of like um, meandering to other subfields on the computer world. Let's say you went into website design, you went into digital marketing. Um, how did you even start learning these different skills in a way? I mean, you were good at graphic design. You were good at doing these uh, campaigns in a sense. Why not just stick to that? Why did you kind of like um, go and learn these other things? Or did they all come naturally? as kind of like a subset of what you were already doing? Uh, yeah, the, the, I mean, it's, uh, life and business is constantly changing. And uh, I always found myself in a situation where some kind of opportunity opened up and maybe another opportunity closed down. Uh, and, and so I kept on just following the path of what to me was clear, like we can call it following our heart. Uh, there are like uh, times in our lives when it's when it becomes clear. Okay, we have to we have to do this now. I mean, that's that's a unique opportunity, like taking on the Siemens project or taking on the EADS project. Uh, these were like very significant opportunities, and I was always in the, in this kind of mindset, like, okay, this is an opportunity, and I want to take it, and I'll go and and I'll do whatever it takes to make it work, you know, by the time we took on this EADS project uh, where we were promoting this Airbus A380, which until today, I think the biggest aircraft on the planet, uh, those days it was in progress. So for six years, we were doing the digital marketing, so to say, for this project. And uh, it was a huge one and we won a pitch and it just an opportunity that came to us. And, uh, and, and yeah, and whenever this happened, I just was, uh, passionate enough uh, and brave enough, I would say, to, to, to take it on, even though I had no clue how to do this. And this is how I always ventured into new, new, new fields of work. It's just like Amazon. I mean, I had no clue. I didn't even know that you can sell on Amazon in the first place until I learned about there is such a thing like selling on Amazon. And then I just, I just went there and I thought, well, that sounds good. So there's something that resonates with me. There's an opportunity. There's a door that opens. And, and what I did, I would just like run through it and, and just do what it takes to make it work. Okay. And this is I, how, how all these transitions in my work life happened. Yeah. I think that's very important. It's like you, you follow your heart, you set that goal. And then, as you said, you make it work in a sense. It's either you, you put your all into it. And then when you start working with prints, then you realize that you've hit your maximum and you're going to the next level in this whole um arena i would say of online world you also went on to do trading right and mm -hmm. that is like a 360 pivot from the whole oh, industry yeah. 
multi media industry. Why did you decide to do that? How did you even transition out into something so weird and so new in a sense? Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, I'm afraid I don't have a short answer, but uh, let me make it as concise as possible. So when, when, I, when I was doing my, my agency work, right, I, I came into this field being a designer, being the guy, you know, who, who does the graphics, who, who kind of, I was a creator and I was a designer. So then these big projects came my way, uh, Siemens, EADS, like things which were impossible to do on my own. So I started engaging people, hiring people. So I built a little company, like, a, like an agency, where we were seven people at some point. Uh, what nobody told me before that, that it's a completely different game to run an agency than being a graphic designer. You know, nobody told me about leadership, about human resources, about accounting, about doing all these, preparing all these pitches and making clients happy, making my uh, employees happy. And there was so much work involved with this. And I was like completely overwhelmed. So I, I really hit the limit of what I could do because I'm willing to learn. But, you know, it, uh, there was a limit because I was doing the, the art director work, like finalizing all the creative stuff. And at the same time, I had to manage uh, the, the company and take care of all these other things which are included in running an agency. And that was a really, really intense time. And I would say I came close to like a burnout stage where I just didn't know how to do this. And I didn't know how to ask the right question. The right question would have been, who can help me? Who can do this? But I was, for my whole life, I was stuck with my how, you know? And that's another big mind shift I would really recommend people to consider is when we face a problem and we face a challenge, the natural question we ask is, how am I gonna do this? But another very good question to ask is who can do this? And only after asking who, we can actually scale a business. Because as long as we ask how, we're stuck in freelance mode. So we will always keep on, I mean, it can be fun, you know, it can be exciting and it's, and it's great to learn new things, no doubt. But if we keep on asking how, it's gonna be always a one-man show and I'll be good, be the guy who's doing the work until we learn how to ask who, and then we will find people who can do this maybe even better than us. I mean, if I had hired a project manager uh, and maybe an accountant and, and uh, you know, people who would actually take off the burden of this whole management part from me those days, uh, I think this agency could have gone like uh, much further than it did. But uh, I, I simply didn't know. And yes, I, uh, maybe that's why I missed out university education because I didn't learn know how to be a manager and how to do all this so i i didn't know so i was overwhelmed so at some point i said you know what uh, and and also siemens canceled their mobile phone projects and and the aa this uh, this airbus 380 was launched so some projects simply uh, finished um and so i was again at this uh, at this decision crossroad where i thought okay what am i going to do now so am i going to like kind of pull through this thing and pay my employees uh, out of my savings or I'm okay just gonna shut down and do something else. And I decided for a second. And trading was like, a yeah, it was always kind of on the back of my head because the logic was, if you want to reach financial freedom, you need to make a certain amount of money and then you have to manage it cleverly, like smartly. You have to make this money work for itself. Now, if you start looking at how to make money grow by itself, you start like with investment funds and maybe whatever, and 
and you ask for your bank for advice, which I did, which was a horrible idea. Every time my, you know, the one of the biggest banks in the, in Germany, uh, as soon as they saw like uh, money coming in into my account, they started giving me advice, you know, they started like telling me, oh, you could invest in this fund. We have this very special investment opportunity here. Why don't you invest with us like 20,000 euros? And I said, of course, you are the bank, you know your <laughs> shit, right? Here, here's the money just, and you know what happened to this money? It just went down the drain, like, like down to zero, like not just like no uh, growth. It, it was just completely wasted. So. I learned the hard way that maybe taking uh, investment advice from my bank was not the way to go. Uh, so again, I took it into my own hands and I asked the how question, right? So then you start checking like how to invest here, how to invest there. And then you start trading, investing first, like you go like long term and then you think, okay, maybe it's better if I go like weekly basis. And then uh, after some time, I found myself being a day trader because the time periods become shorter and shorter because you see all these opportunities happening on like a, on a shorter time frame, And, uh, but when you're a day trader, that's a full-time job. So yeah, so I found myself trading and I kind of liked it because previously my life was so stressful with all these external, like managing people, managing clients, all these things. I've, I experienced it as like being a major source of stress. And I kind of liked the idea of being alone in front of the screen. And not having, t I mean, there was no client, there was no employee. To me, that was heaven at that time. At that time, I thought, well, uh, this is great because uh, there won't be any more problems left. <laughs> I was wrong, but yeah, I mean, I had this idea of, you know, just me in the lap and the screen, that's just, just fine. So let's do that. And I did that and it was okay for a while but then i also had to learn some lessons and one of the most important lessons i learned in trading is that uh, it's actually all in my head and that brought me into a whole new trajectory of looking at life and looking at and what's going on with me and how i actually create my reality which eventually led me to meet you guys and ilango and you know engage with people who are questioning the way our reality is and who are kind of taking this angle of like maybe reality is not set in stone maybe reality is something that we create and this is the uh, and this uh, and this thought actually came out of my trading experience because i was desperately fighting the charts and i had to like face reality like dude there's no one else around here there's <laughs> just you and the chart and other people are doing great in the same situation and you're struggling. So there must be something, you know, which has is not connected to other people. There must be something which is actually happening in your head. Uh, and it, it's about you. So I, I had to take responsibility for the nonsense that's going on in my life. And, and I did. So from there, I started to look into like a new angle of looking at our beliefs i mean at my beliefs looking at what i think uh, looking at what is probably like limiting my reality my uh, horizon what are my limiting beliefs and uh, and how i can change this how i can actively take charge of what's going on in my head uh, of my thoughts and my feelings and my actions and eventually become like a creator versus a victim
that is very beautiful and i'm going to be honest from my limited experience of meeting several aspiring investors or people aspiring investment bankers this is not really the way that they think they're very quite much rooted in reality i'd say so the fact that you actually had this thought and had this realization that um hey maybe it's something to do with me maybe i'm the one who's kind of like creating this reality around me i think that is very profound so you you had kind of like this um this realization which not many of us have and what did you do next did you continue asking how or did you start asking who could teach me this who could where could i learn this from what was your next thought process in a sense that yeah yeah uh, of course this the question who even though i was uh, it it was not like consciously on my mind but i realized that no one in my past time environment not to speak of my family and and um, there was no such it it was not a thing you know to question how we think to question our thoughts and our our actions and emotions and how all this is co connected together so yeah i had to look uh, outside you know my comfort zone and uh, part of it was going to malaysia i mean i didn't go to malaysia to meet ilango but yeah when i came to malaysia uh, you know it was a completely new scenery i went back into djing and uh, and uh, i re realized that looking at charts is maybe not fulfilling for the rest of my life so i kind of moved away from this from my trading game which which i still was in when i came to malaysia and yes you can just go wherever you want if you're a trader because it doesn't matter which part of the world you're staying so i came to malaysia being a trader but then i also realized okay this is maybe not enough to to be trading for the rest of my life so i want to engage with people again uh, and i did and uh, part of it was my amazon journey and part of it was also to then uh, being introduced to ilango who turns out to be like a real good uh, how you call that sifu i would say uh, yeah just a mentor a mentor who who was really deep in this whole mindset stuff and who i i learned a lot of and i'm still very grateful for until today okay so ilongo tiago is the founder of et ideas he had uh, weekly talk shows i back then um now he's retired unfortunately from eteris and when he had this weekly talk shows i used to go i remember meeting you there things like that and um i'm going to be honest i've got i've got to ask you this i've got to ask you this for you but what was that first thought you had in that talk show like did you go oh this is what i'm looking for or what on earth is this and what does this mean in a sense were you a skeptic were you a, yeah well, what first ran through your mind when you were in eteris in a way uh i was uh, <clears throat> um so i met ilango through a a, a a fellow amazon seller actually so we were both we were all in this group of amazon sellers and uh, steven i think is his name uh, and uh, we were talking about stuff and and he said well i know this guy you know he might be uh, of help and so he introduced me to ilango so ilango met me at a cafe in kl central somewhere i think in new central it would be uh, and uh, after that he just uh, asked me to come along for this uh, weekly show you guys had and uh, i was i was quite blown away actually by this environment but it was i think they had a talk show with ramya uh, and uh, and this whole first session i felt like he was talking to me you know i i felt like all the stuff that he was talking about uh, uh, about environment and how our environment shapes our reality and how we need the supportive environment and i thought yeah 
I mean, this environment feels really like something I could uh, would be very helpful for me right now. Like an environment of people who who take responsibility, who who follow their passions, their entrepreneurial dreams, and uh, that was a like a very eye opening moment to me to be in this first show with Ilango at uh, the T Ideas. Yeah. Okay, and I wholeheartedly concur. I think <laughs> learning about how my how my reality is shaped has been something so personal to me. And I think that I'm so grateful to ETIDS Ilungo for actually introducing me and to, until today guiding me to actually see how that works. Because I feel like, um, as you said, I think Ilungo just has a way of speaking directly to everyone's heart in a sense and, and addressing mm. the questions that you don't even know you have. But this knowledge, this information about how you create a reality, how did that affect your business? How did you bring it into your um, new world of, um, of uh, Amazon-esque entrepreneurship in a way? Did you see yourself? Did, did something change in you that um, made you look at things differently, that made you run the business in a different way? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, and I would say it's, it's just this whole idea of taking responsibility and just taking a step back and looking at what's going on in my head and, and what are the thoughts and how am I judging things and, and how things could be looked at from a different angle and, uh, and how, uh, where I'm in my own way, you know, when, when my, my thoughts and my actions and my words do not align sometimes, you know, when I, when I, I mean, I want this thing at the same time, I, I talk bad about it and I feel weird about it. So to, to have this alignment towards the goal, I think that was a very important message for me to learn, to, to align towards the goal and to really be mindful of how my words and thoughts and actions do support this goal or, or they don't. And I think that made a big difference in my life. And it's and, and it's something, I think it's a lifelong learning curve. And it's I, I, I don't feel like I will ever be done learning this art of, you know, taking responsibility and uh, and educating my own mind. But uh, it, it's the most exciting journey, actually, I can I can think of right now. I agree. And I think it's amazing. And uh, you founded Elixiri. You grew the business You to a point where it was even acquired in 2019 for a sizable sum of money. Congratulations. I think that's every, like many entrepreneurs aspire to do that in a way. How did you grow the business to such a stage in a way? I mean, it surely wasn't easy and you were kind of like a central figure in this whole thing. So what, what again was your secret sauce in a way? Or like, how was that journey from your point of view? Uh, the secret sauce was to not give up, I think, because <laughs> there are, you know, when you do this stuff, there are many reasons for you to give up and just throw in the towel and say, you know what, uh, F you, or this is impossible. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I kept going and I had to solve a lot of house. Uh, and I mean, looking back, I think uh, one of the essential, I, I actually had a live webinar session about selling my Amazon business just last night. So it's still very fresh on my mind, the whole, it was a one hour session. We were just talking about this process of how to profitably sell your business. Um, and, and going through all this experience again, I thought that again, talking to the manufacturer was one of the key success uh, factors for me. Um, because what we learn in all these courses when to sell on Amazon in 2014, it was the, these courses were quite big. And I, of course, I was one of the students. And so you go to Alibaba, you find this product, you know, you, you, you ship it in, you package it and, and, 
and you sell it. Okay, that's that's the, that's a good starting point, and that's what I did. But then I actually went to Shenzhen and I met the manufacturer of my of this product, and and that opened a whole new uh, perspective because uh, when you have this personal connection, suddenly people come up with ideas that they will not post on Alibaba, you know, and then suddenly you have these projects which they have in their drawer which haven't really manifested yet, and you start to exchange ideas. And yeah, and so we we were kind of uh, together. We were building my next product, you know, by exchanging ideas of how to, what it should be, what they could do, what it would cost, and how it could work. And and yeah, and this I think that was like uh, a, a major factor for me to to grow my business to have this uh, this uh, cooperation, you know, with this manufacturer. Uh, and then of course you have to solve. A lot of problems and you have to learn a lot of things uh, and you have to do almost anything under the sun for a business i mean you have to take care of the physical part of the production of the packaging of the shipping uh, of the logistics and at the same time you have to be a marketing ninja because <laughs> all the sales after that they depend on your skills to create email great listings to rank to get reviews to do stuff outside amazon to do facebook campaigns to create a brand page to build your brand to do press releases i mean there's almost nothing that is not included in this amazon model and and so i had to learn a lot and uh, and and it wasn't easy but uh, it was also very exciting and i think today i'm kind of uh, yeah i'm benefiting from all this experience and knowledge i have i had to gain during that time. And last not least, I mean, the selling experience was another very exciting one. I mean, to build a business is one, to be in a business and daily operations is one thing, but then to actually make this extra step and go and find a buyer and put in like a list it for sale and go through the process of selling it, that was a very interesting experience as well. And what I call the 360 entrepreneurial badge, where we kind of fulfill the cycle of uh, starting, building and actually letting go of a business okay okay um and again you had a brilliant business uh luxury they basically um produce luxury and i think um premium uh apple accessories everything i remember was well packaged was um, poised was extremely lovely but now that we hear i think the hardship behind it the fact that there were so many angles to look at it as you mentioned from the branding perspective from the daily operations perspective from the sales perspective <coughs> I think that that is something that entrepreneurs today struggle with, like just in the getting your product to a customer alone. Between that, you've got branding, marketing and sales. And then you've got after sales service. And then before even that, you've got liaising with your uh, producer in a way. How did you as one person manage all of these different things in a sense without um, losing track of one field at a time? Because personally, as an entrepreneur, sometimes you focus too much on the sales, then you've got to like readjust your, your brain to um, look more at the production. Or if you focus too much on the processes, then you lose touch of what actually your clients need. So where did you find that balance and how would you um, recommend we attempt to find that balance as well? Oh boy, I have been off balance many, many times. It's not like I was balanced all this while. I mean, I was just bouncing around and... <laughs> I was putting out fires as much as I could, yeah. And uh, yeah, sometimes there was a short period of smooth sailing. Uh, but yeah, most of the time you just, uh, and, and I, I still was in this how mindset, you know. And the how mindset just uh, 
keeps you glued to your desk and 20 hour days. And that's what happens if you're in the how mindset. And I didn't really get this, you know, this, the, the trajectory to hire. I mean, I did hire VAs, but uh, I, I didn't really figure out, you know, to ask the who question. This is something I, it's, which only recently came on my radar. Uh, but yeah, I, I just did what I had to do. And, uh, Again, I think I just uh, pulled through because I had this determination, this passion to, to do this and to solve the problems. And there were a lot of problems. And uh, I just did my best, you know, to solve them one at a time. I, I did ask for help. Of course, I was in a mastermind of people who knew what they're doing. And I did get advice from smart people. Um, and uh, But but yeah, there, there was no such thing as being everything is like uh, balanced. That was just like doing whatever was the most urgent and important thing at the time uh, and uh, and solving these things. And then, I mean, today, the next step would be to find someone who can do this for me. I would find a solution, write an SOP, and then find someone who can kind of follow up on this. And this is how I intend to run business today, to create processes, to find people who can do this and, and then build from there. Okay. And I think that is something that we've all got to write down in, I'm sure everyone's diligently taking notes from your session. So write that down from you guys as well. Um, and there's so many gems of what you said. And I think that all kind of like accumulates into the fact that you actually did sell your business. And um, was it like how it is in the movies where someone just comes up to you and offers you a blind check and says, Dano, whatever you want, I, like, like, I want this business in a sense. What was the real story behind it in a sense? Or should I start scouting out for people with suitcases full of money right now itself? Um, well, actually, I think if you sell your Amazon business today, it is a bit like in the movies because there is this phenomenon of aggregators. Uh, and there's this ex incredible success story of this company called Tracio. And they have been the this fastest growing business in history with that reached like from zero to $2 billion of market value within two years. And I think this has never happened in human history that the company grew at this pace. And the way they did it is by acquiring a bunch of Amazon businesses and uh, improving them and kind of bringing them all under one umbrella and having all the expertise in-house to optimize all these businesses, which were run by like uh, like one-man shows like me, who was which and they were obviously not optimized like in all the aspects. Uh, so today is actually, uh, I saw like the multiples, like the evaluation of Amazon business is much higher than when I sold it. But back in the days, no, it was not like people were queuing up at my doorstep. Uh, <laughs> it, I had to go and talk to brokers and I had to find the right broker to work with me. And then after they, they, they look at your business, they agree to work with you, then they, they do an evaluation and then they determine the, the market price of the business and then they put it on their platform. So then you are like up on a, on a platform, on a marketplace where interested buyers can go and, and check and see what kind of business they would like to acquire. And then you have a sales call, you know, so they start asking you all the questions like, what is this? What is that? Why are you selling? You know, <clears throat> trying to find fault, of course. <laughs> and then, 
after a few phone calls, then you find the guy who is actually serious. And then you go to the steps of uh, writing this LOI, this uh, letter of intent, and then you go uh, and then you give them access to your business, which feels very awkward because suddenly somebody is poking around in your business and you don't even really know them. You know, all you have is a letter of intent, <laughs> which, you know, this intention could change very so fast. You a letter that says, <clears throat> I will not rob you and then let them into yeah, your house. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're, you're like standing. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a really awkward situation to let people like dig through your business without having, you know, they could just walk away and say, "I'm not interested," you know, and that's all. And they, they could be a competitor, actually. You know, that's the scary part. But yeah, so but there's no choice, so you have to do that. And uh, when everything is fine, then you write the purchase agreement, and then they have, then then they uh, get into the process of they will send the money to escrow, like a third party was holding all the funds in the transition process, and then you transit the business to them, so they get the key, they get all the accesses, all the assets, all the contacts, all the email addresses, all the social media uh, um, assets as well. And uh, after, and then there's another due diligence process where they can still like check a second time if everything is as described, uh, which is another scary time because you don't know, maybe this guy finds something he doesn't like, which somehow is not as described, then he could still walk away, you know. But uh, yeah, it didn't happen. So the, the, the buyer was uh, happy with what he found. So this whole process was kind of finished in, I think, in three months with this person. But uh, it was a very intense journey. So to, to let go of the business and to have this interaction with the buyer and this, and of course we are very attached to our business. We feel like there is an emotional aspect to it. And yeah, it all comes into a, in a quite intense time, but uh, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it's also a very rewarding experience to let it go and to, to get some financial time freedom. No, I think that's brilliant. And um, it's very nice to hear that whole human part of selling a business in a sense that, that mm. the feelings that you have when you, when you, oh, yeah. this. because I feel like many times we're excited, like, but then when things actually happen, that's when our emotions, the other parts of us kick in. And what was the part that surprised you the most about, like that you didn't expect at all during this process of selling the business? I didn't expect how long it would take and how many uh, documents I would have to read and understand and sign and agree upon. You know, you're, you're dealing with all this lawyers English and, you know, I'm German. So it was not fun for me at all to read through these pages upon pages of, of uh, thereby hereupon stuff, you know. Uh, so, yeah, that was surprising. And but I was also surprised by the goodness of this guy who actually bought the business. So he did not play tricks. He did not kind of push me to the limits of the boundaries of the contract. He he kind of released uh, the funds within two weeks. And uh, yeah, so it uh, it was scary. It was intense, and it was fun at the same time. And and yeah, uh, but uh, I can recommend to have this experience to anyone. And I think the the, the biggest. Uh, the biggest learning point or the, the, the learning, the lesson here is, I think, is to, to look at the business with a life cycle, to look at the whole thing from beginning to end and to have and to maybe like imagine like a like an exit scenario and to look at what it would what should this scenario look like? Like, uh, what is the size of the business? You know, where are you? What does your team look like? What does your client base look like? So kind of to imagine this end goal, as we say in ET ideas, 
and then to actually work towards that goal and to also have the courage to let it go and say, okay, this is enough now. So now I'm moving on. I'm doing something else, which is a choice. I mean, we don't have to. We can we can keep a business, of course, if we like to. But uh, I mean, I think every few years we should just ask this question: Is this what I? Is this the best way for me to spend my time and my life at the moment? And what was the right answer three years ago is probably not the right answer today. So even though like those days I was like super excited about building an Amazon business, maybe today, today it's not what I want to do. So maybe today I just want to move on. So for me now it's like helping other uh, entrepreneurs and business owners is more exciting than selling products on Amazon. And I think that, that in a way, I think when we previously talking about it, it's like kind of like being mindful that um of that life cycle. It's kind of like almost like in ETI days, we talk about the four stages of life in a sense where you're yeah. learning, experiencing, then you contemplate, then you let go. So you essentially went through that with your business. So you you kind of like pen down the four stages of um having a of being a business owner. Very, very, very yeah, yeah, not yeah. much time for to contemplate though, but yeah, it kind of did. <laughs> <laughs> I did go through the cycle. Yeah, I did let go. <laughs> yeah, and, and today with um Dev Device, you help others kind of like um you ask the question of who can help them in a sense. You actually help others build their businesses. And um okay, first of all, we've got to get this out of the way because it's from the audience. What does Dev Device stand for in a sense? A question from the audience. Oh yeah, it has a very mystical meaning. DEF are my initials, Dano Edward Falk. Oh, so you didn't do some astrological calculation? To no, up. no, 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 no. But I it's mean, a I mean, my my agency in Munich was called Dev Design. So this Dev kind of thing was kind of like my like my my chop, which I put on many of my businesses. So yeah, it's just a, yeah, Dev. It's it's Dano Edward Falk, and then Design was when I was all about Design. Now Device is more like some uh, something that would be of use for others, uh, and I like to think of dev device as a as the who for those people who i needed back in the days you know because back in the days i was the guy like uh, just doing everything myself and today we can be the who who can help those people who are struggling to kind of manage everything themselves or just who want to grow and want to want to have a like a partner to grow and exit their business and and we can be the how the who for that the who how <laughs> I, I think that that's really good sense. <laughs> uh, like we say in Malaysia, uh, how? Uh? <laughs> yes, yes, that's our trademark sense. Uh, but okay, okay. So it, but I think that's very poetic in a sense because um, as another one of the audience members complained, uh, not uh, comments in a sense, it's who is a pretty uh, good point in expensive thinking, and now um, it's something that I think you you combine those two things, who and how. Um, that that you provide as kind of like a service for others so that they don't have to kind of like make the same mistakes that a new business owner would make. Which again, on behalf of all business owners, thank you very much, Dano. But um, there's so many things that um, you cover in Dev Devices. You help with e-commerce strategy, you help with uh, uh, people specific to Amazon businesses. How do you actually help these businesses um, remain competitive with so many other people out there? I would say the e-commerce world is a bit more saturated now, um, especially with the pandemic, when everyone has decided that that's the only thing that they can do right now. How do you make sure that your clients remain competitive? How do you yourself remain competitive in your whole entrepreneurship journey in a way? Wow, that's a big question. 
Uh, okay, so how do I remain competitive? Well, I don't really think of competition so much, but I think uh, we are unique in the sense that, first of all, we know exactly what it's like to be a business owner. We are not just like uh, this agency who tries to sell stuff to them, but but uh, we understand the business owner's perspective because I have been the business owner and I know what I would have needed back in the days as an agency service and what they should have been looking for and how they should like uh, be sensitive and, and aware of my actual business needs and not just about selling me a Facebook campaign. Uh, and so, uh, so we understand the business owner's perspective and it is, and also, and as a consequence of that, we look at strategy first. So if you tell me as a business owner, if you call me tomorrow and say, hey, I want a website, uh, I won't, you know, I, I, my response will be, why do you think you need a website? So we question, you know, these kind of decisions and we question the, the overall meaning and, and, the, and the function of whatever you would actually need next in your business. Maybe the most important thing is not a website for you right now. So we, we look at the big picture. We look at your, at your company, where you're standing, what you're doing, how you're using your existing online assets, how you're using traffic, how you're using your customer database, how you're utilizing all the other assets like social media around you I mean, it depends on what you're doing at of course and then we will come up with a with a strategy to tell you okay so the, the best next step for you to grow would be to 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 uh, to make use of this area for example uh, uh, and one example would be you know people are so uh, i mean everybody understands website website okay great we need a website but then what happens with the people who come to your website so i i many of our of people who we like clients we meet uh, they have all these leads like lying around and they have maybe a website but they don't doing anything with the leads that come out of the website they're not utilizing the existing customer base to activate them to talk to them to engage with them and the website is actually just an instrument to bring in new leads right but if you're not doing anything with them your website is wasted it's, it's not going anywhere so we look at the strategic big picture of things, and that's, I think, how we can best help our clients to grow by not simply selling them a service, which they think they need, but we actually question them and we, we will, together, we will find out what is actually, what is it actually that you need right now? And then we make a plan and then we can grow together. So we also like to, to work with clients over a long period of time to be like a growth partner for them and not just a, like an agency quick fix. No, I think again that that's brilliant. Um, I agree from point of view as someone who runs a startup that does websites. You'd be surprised with the the amount of people who either think that a website is going to solve all their problems and they're going to get a million sales overnight and become I know. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or either alternative side, they, they they just feel that they need something which actually is not relevant to them, or actually that they don't have the current resources to utilize. Like um, mm. and I feel like um. Part of what um, I've been a, maybe not the best entrepreneur, but telling them that maybe you'd want to start so complicated, start simple in a sense. But that's actually been always something that's helped my clients. And knowing that there's people like you out there to bring them a step further, to help them grow their business, to look at the bigger picture. Well, I think that that's very heartwarming here. And especially with all of your amazing experiences, I have no doubt at all that um, your clients are going to reach the limits and they're going to soar beyond, I think, what they would have done without you. So thank you so much once again uh, for being on our show today, for being on Changing reality for all of you who'd like to get in touch with dano do check out that device they've got a lovely website where you can also get in touch with dano himself and um and 
I would highly recommend checking them out and finding out more about their services if you are a business owner in that stage of growth. Because it's time for like maybe we stop we stop asking how we get things done, but who can help us get things done in a way. So once again, thank mm. you. <laughs> so thank once- you for having me. Thanks for having me, Harsha. It was a big pleasure to talk with you today. And uh, yeah, and uh, thanks for all the people out there listening. I uh, appreciate your time. All right. With that, uh, my name is Harsha. We've been interviewing Dano Falk today here on Changing Reality. It's been a lovely session and we'll see you again next week, uh, every Friday at uh, 10 p.m. EST and um, whatever time that is in your time zone as well. Um, Next week, we will be having um, the executive director of uh, Disney ABC um, television production, um, Miss Roxanne Bernadali. So please do join us again for that session. And we look forward to having you for Um, our future episodes as well. See you guys around. Until then, bye. You're listening to Changing Reality. Changing Reality, where we bend reality all across the world. Only on WQHS Radio.